Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. As a true football fan, you already know that just as sure as the seasons change... Tom Brady and Drew Brees could lose playoff games for their respective teams and get zero blame for it whatsoever, unlike the Ben Roethlisberger's of the world. Every weekend, our favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test. So why aren't you doing the same? It's time to get in the game, everybody. There's only a couple weeks left. And the place to go is my bookie because it's the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every single weekend. They have the most up-to-date lines. They got prop bets, and they let you do parlays. So if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can use those parlays. Pick your locks for the week, put them together in a one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. If you're tired of watching the games from the couch, well, there's, there's not much I can do do for you football-wise, but my bookie will make you feel like you're in the game because you got some scoots riding on the outcome. The best part is, if you join right now, my bookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in a thousand, they'll give you a thousand. That's double your initial deposit, and you can use it on all your favorite picks. Use the promo code C H A I R Chair to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. remains. The detritus of an unfulfilled dream, intensified by the continuance of a Super Bowl pursuit that we must watch, or at best, ignore. But stretching before us on the distant horizon, the sun's corona pierces the nighttime shroud and rays of hope cause us to shade our eyes as we cast an expectant glance toward 2020. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is January 5th, 2020. This is Tom coming to you from the Sawdust Studios near Washington, D.C., and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Hello, Nicholas. Hello. Ah, quite an empty day. There is a lot of football, right? but it's, uh, it's tough. But I will say, this is a, there's some wild games going on, two overtime games. We've just seen the completion of the Minnesota Saints game. 26 to 20 in overtime. And yeah, I guess that was a reference. Sacrilegious for us to watch to watch that thing and like we watched the Steelers games cross country, but it was too good to ignore. I was going to say something right when you queued me up. I don't remember what you said before you were uh we went into the playoff games, but I guess uh we can kind of talk about some of them because they have been pretty exciting so far. And I guess we can note that I think all Steelers fans, you know the drill. We root against the Patriots. We root against the Ravens. 
After that's taken care of, we root against the Niners and we root against the Cowboys who are closest to the Steelers in total Super Bowl uh, victories. My girlfriend is asleep over here in the other room, um, and she is a big Seahawks fan. So we do root for the Seahawks. On a, I mean, obviously not to the same extent as the Steelmen, but we enjoy watching Russell Wilson play. But secretly, as Steelers fans, we root against the Seahawks, because if they get a Super Bowl, Russell Wilson gets the same number as Ben. So I guess we want Kirk Cousins and the Vikings to get one. Because they'll never get one again. Chiefs. That- we want the Chiefs. Mahomes can get one. Uh, he just seems we don't likely want to get more than one. No. We want to tie in the Super Bowl. But So speaking of exciting games, uh, Houston over Buffalo in overtime, 22-19. to one of the weirder scores I've ever seen, the 19 and 19 at the end of regulation. Right. But that started out like Josh Allen had sold his soul to the devil. Yeah, and then Josh Allen just became Josh Allen. And we remember that he can't hit the broadside of a barn, uh, whether it's 10 feet away or, or 80 yards. He'll be able to throw it past the barn, but he won't be able to hit it. If you and look at the highlights, I, I'm still trying to figure out how Houston won that game. Deshaun Watson was sacked seven times. But that, I think, uh, what was that near the end of the third quarter? He got that touchdown run, just carrying three guys on, on him into the end zone. Here's what that game, that this game came down to, is the Bills are a better team than the Texans in every way. And we won't spend too much time on, on other teams, but it's definitely worth covering because as Steelers fans, we can relate to a lot of this. But the Bills are better than the Texans at basically every position but the Texans have Superman at quarterback. Deshaun Watson is unstoppable. And he has one of the greatest receivers in the game, if not the best right now, with Hopkins. J.J. Watt somehow is still good. And they got those three studs, and the rest of the team is crap. <laughs> Kenny Stills is all right. Will Fuller is Martavis Bryant the second. He's their receiver, but he never plays, and he didn't play in this game. He adds a lot when he plays. But, the, you know, there's really no excuse for the Bills, and it just kind of shows you that Josh Allen, who knows what his career is going to be. To me, you and I were talking about it. He's like a poor man's Cam Newton. But the difference is, you know, Cam Newton, also big, also runs well using that size, has a cannon arm, is inaccurate. But Cam at least can get hot. And he dragged crappy teams a number of times throughout his career. Whether people like him or not, that's the truth. And Josh Allen pretty much fell apart to the point where, you pointed out yesterday. I mean, he had a big run in the fourth quarter and just inexplicably tries to lateral the ball at the end of the play. I mean, the dude, he freaked out. And Deshaun Watson literally put the other team on his back and figuratively put the Texans on his back because he's just unbelievable, man. I mean, just making play after play. So the only other thing I'll save up this game before uh, we bore our audience with it, I advise you, and maybe you can tweet this out, Nick, because I included a couple of pictures on, uh, on the show notes. Look at Trent Murphy... And then look at Tyler Matakevich. And just tell me right. if you were see a resemblance. And so last night, Tennessee 20, uh, New England 13, Derrick Henry 182 yards rushing. Where, does, uh, where do the Patriots rank in terms of rushing defense? I'm looking that up while you do. Here's the thing. The Patriot, here's the season with the Patriots. Uh, this this kind of became apparent, I think, to a lot of people when they lost to the Dolphins at home in the last week of the season. Ironically, that came after their best game of the season where they beat Buffalo and the Patriots' offense actually looked good. But here it is. Nobody can admit that Drew Brees and Tom Brady 
are still really good, but not as good as they were two or three years ago. They both have physical limitations with their arm. They can't make all the different throws that they were that they used to be able to make, whether that's over the middle of the field or deep outs or even long bombs. They, they're still really good, but whenever you tell anybody that they've declined, nobody can accept it. They're like, oh, so six Super Bowls. Like, I... I didn't say anything about 2001. I said right now as a 42-year-old, he doesn't have the juice. Now, if he had Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown and Gronk on the team, they'll be in the Super Bowl this year. But the, the bottom line is they don't have a lot of talent on offense, and Brady isn't at the level of his career where he can just carry them anymore. So it's no surprise that their offense sucked. As far as rushing defense goes, um, it's not as good as their pass defense because their pass defense was phenomenal. But I, I said this the entire year long. The Patriots have a really good defense, but people talking about them as like an all-time great defense, that, that blew my mind. They played like a historically soft schedule. Uh, unbelievable. Like they played the Steelers in the first game, kicked the crap out of us. They played the Dolphins, you know, before the Dolphins got their stuff together. Jets twice, Redskins, Giants, Cowboys, Eagles, Bills twice were a good team, but they can't score more than 14 points in a game. And the only time the Patriots played halfway decent offenses throughout the course of the year, they got blown out of the gym by the Ravens and by the Chiefs. So I knew, but I had a feeling this year that by the time the playoffs came along, it would be hard for them to hang in the game. And and uh, the Titans didn't even play that great, but they're just a balanced team. And yeah, Derrick Henry is a man among boys. I don't even think he's human. He's like 6'8", 400 pounds. He runs a 4'4". Uh, yeah, this, so the Titans only had 76 yards passing. You're right. So Patriots ranked second in terms of passing, but six in terms of uh, rushing defense. But you know what was Again, was wild? those stats are like, it's hard to contextualize those because they played such bad teams, you know? True. It's true. Well, I guess, you know, what sort of um, illustrated that was the Titans, sorry, this is on offense. The Patriots had a first down on the Tennessee one-yard line and weren't able to score a touchdown. That was sort of endemic of their lack of offensive punch. Well, you know what's cool about that is they basically ran the same play, like an off-tackle play twice in a row to Sonny Michelle, and Rashawn Evans, the middle linebacker for the Titans, burst through and made the tackle twice in a row. Rashawn Evans was the guy we spent a ton of time on two years ago. He's the middle linebacker when we were hoping that the Steelers would be able to draft him. He wasn't as good as, uh, who were the other guys? It was the dude from Georgia who plays for the Bears, Roquan Smith. And I think maybe one of the guys was out that year. And we were like, hey, Rashawn Evans, he might not be uh, as good as Roquan or as good as the Devons would be the year after. So thank goodness we ended up with Bush. But it was pretty cool to see, hey, that guy looks like he's a pretty big stud. So, yeah, the Patriots are out. It is likely, by the way, anybody who's hearing anything about this, it looks likely that Tom Brady will be playing for a different team next year. There have been rumors of that the entire year. And he sold his house in New England. He didn't re-sign. His contract is up. He has a stipulation in his contract that they are not allowed to franchise tag him. And he hasn't signed a new deal. And then uh, people have been speculating about that all year. And at first I thought, like, whatever, man. He's just probably... Uh, leveraging them for more money, and um, that still might be what he's doing. But even at the press conference last night, the reporters asked him directly if this was his last game, and he kept talking about everything in the past tense. Like, I loved my time here. I cherished my time here so deeply. I'll remember this forever, et cetera, et cetera. He 
was very intentionally making a statement that like, hey, I might not be here next year. And I don't know if that's leveraging for more money, but it does look like, man, he might try to, you know, I don't know why he would want to get out of New England, but uh, it looks like it's really happening. So is the dynasty over? Never. Bill Belichick's still there. If they could get a good quarterback over there and a good receiver, they'd probably be right back in it. But um, overall, it may be reaching the end here. And then we just, uh, we actually delayed doing this podcast because we're hanging on to the Minnesota New Orleans game, which you refer to in the intro, Minnesota pulling it out in overtime, 26 to 20. Kirk Cousins with a couple of, I don't know how long those passes were, 40 yards to. That was, yeah, I don't know, 54. He threw the, I mean, you feel so good for Kirk Cousins. He literally has like never won a night game in his entire career. And I guess that stands true because it was an afternoon game. But I guess all I want to say about that game you feel good for Kirk Cousins scoring, but for Steelers fans watching that, Drew Brees fumbled on the potential game-winning drive the second to last time they got the ball in the fourth quarter with three minutes and 45 seconds to go. At that point, of course, you know that the media members are already writing their story about how surely how bad the offensive line was on that play, and they made Drew fumble, and they, it was their fault, and it couldn't be Drew Brees' fault because you remember last year in the NFC championship game he got hosed by the refs not calling a pass interference call the nfl then changed the rules uh to make sure that he could get that pass interference call uh later it didn't matter because he threw the game losing interception on the opening drive of overtime later but that's neither here nor there and if you actually check the record books that's been officially erased from the record books so anyways Today, when you and I were watching it, Drew Brees fumbles, 345 left, and I guess Randy Feetner snuck into the building and put on a purple polo shirt and started calling plays for the Vikings because they tried to run the clock out against the Saints, who I think had three timeouts, at least two, plus the two-minute warning. They tried to run the clock out with three minutes and 45 seconds instead of being aggressive. You're up by three in the playoffs against Drew Brees, as much as I was making fun of him. Obviously, he's Drew Brees. I'm just making fun of the fact that him and Brady never can do anything wrong. And if Ben Roethlisberger fumbled, it would be the end of the world, you know. But you try to run the clock out with four minutes left. How many times have we seen this with the Steelers doing the same thing? And then, long story short, the Saints tie it, of course. That's a foregone conclusion. And miraculously... Kirk Cousins wins the game in overtime uh, with a like a 60-yard pass to Thielen, right? And then, oh gosh, actually, this is even funnier. So they're on the goal line here, right? The Vikings to win the game and advance in the playoffs. And Kevin Stefanski, who I think is actually Randy Feetner, I've realized, doing this podcast, he had called a goal line set of plays in the fourth quarter that did not work. It was a run up the middle that got stuffed. And then he pitched the ball to the left to Dalvin Cook, their MVP player, and they lost five yards. He called the exact same plays again. And guess what? He got the exact same result. They got stuffed on the first one and they lost four yards on the pitch. And then luckily, Kirk Cousins throws just sort of like a back corner fade to Kyle Rudolph, who has a little bit of a push off. And you know, up oh, here comes everybody saying the Saints got hosed by the refs again because of a little push off on Kyle Rudolph. Twitter's already blowing up with that sentiment. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, you're, you're right. It just How can the Saints beat the refs? I mean, forget the fact that the coach grossly misused the clock when the 
Vikings were trying to run the clock down. Sean Payton let 38 seconds run off instead of calling a timeout. Forget that Drew Brees fumbled on the game-winning drive, and it's honestly not that big of a deal that they gave up a 60-yard pass play on the opening play of or the fifth play of overtime. All that stuff is neither here nor there. The refs, I just I feel terrible for them. It's so sad. Let's move on to some good news. I know this isn't a playoff win, but the Steelers put a few guys on the All-Pro all pro team, first team and second team. It's interesting. So for the Steelers, T.J. Watt as the edge rusher, um, Minka Fitzpatrick as a safety. Who, who am I missing? In the, oh, Cam Hayward, Cam Hayward, interior lineman. Yeah. So unfortunately, I know this is a little shot in front. The Ravens had five first-team first, first uh, All-Pros, and they had – one, two, two guys on the second team. Well, and Deontay Johnson made second team all pro as a punt returner. And somehow TJ Watt made it made the second team as well. He made the first team as an edge rusher and the second team as a linebacker. That, that seems a little weird to me. But uh, I love Deontay Johnson. I think that he has definitely at least some pro bowls in his future as wide receiver. I didn't quite think he was a all pro punt returner yet. I think maybe next year after a whole season, sure. But it seems to me like he just had the the – Anybody who listens to this podcast knows how much I was begging for Deontay to be returning punts all year. But uh, he had the one part return for a touchdown. Other than that, he didn't have that many long ones. But I'm happy to see him get the all-pro. It looks like Minka Fitzpatrick, you lit- you couldn't make a trade any better than that, can you? For the 18th pick in the 2020 draft, the Steelers get an immediate all-pro who has four years left on his deal. Hey, so the other thing, you, you think it was interesting that TJ was on both the first and the second team. I do. That is a little odd. But um, maybe this isn't as odd, but Christian McCaffrey had two spots on the first team. One is one is the first running back and the only flex player chosen. But it is pretty cool that these guys got elected to All-Pro. They completely deserved it. You know, we've even talked about some of the Pro Bowl stuff. That is really fanfare. There is a lot of politics and just people who have bigger names getting into the Pro Bowl. But the All-Pro is, is a real honor. And it's actually a little bit more legitimate. So there are still some funky things that happen. Like, for instance, Bill Polian, who for some reason still uh, is allowed to provide football opinions. There were three people who didn't vote Lamar Jackson as the first-team All-Pro quarterback, and Bill Polian is one. If you remember him, he is the 114-year-old former GM who said vehemently throughout the draft process that Lamar Jackson should be a receiver which I think has resulted in that whole narrative of like, hey, look at all those people who hated on Lamar Jackson and thought he should be a receiver. You think he should be a receiver now? And my response is like, it was just Bill Polian. I think the rest of us all thought like, hey, yeah, Lamar could be a really good quarterback. I don't know what the hell that's all about. But yeah, so that just demonstrates some, there is some goofiness on the all-pro voting as well. But for the most part, it's pretty accurate. Big honor. Aaron Donald and Cam Hayward together. As uh, we're taking credit for Aaron Donald too, is what I'm trying to say. As the interior lineman. So in other, not non-football, but non-playing football accolades, Hall of Fame candidates, the final candidates have been announced. So we have Troy Palomalu, Alan Fanica, and in the old guy category, is Fanica in the old guy category? <laughs> well, he might be. Donnie Shell is definitely in the old. Donnie Shell is definitely in the old guy category. So we can go all through these one by one. Uh, Troy just seems like one of those guys where it's like, do you do you have to nominate him, or should you just say there's five uh, guys who can get a spot this year and Troy's in? 
that sort of feels like the shooting fish in a barrel, doesn't it? With Troy Polamalu. Not only was he one of the best players ever, had great stats, but just, you know, visually, he was the face of the Steelers' defense for those three Super Bowl runs and for a lot of years and just such an individually unique player. And you just, I'm sorry, there are no better safeties than Troy Polamalu and Ed Reed. And if you want to have the debate about them, then you're a fool because they basically play different positions. Troy was a strong safety who moved all over the field and was used as a chess piece. Ed Reed is the traditional center fielder. And Ed just got in last year and Troy's going to get in this year. That's great. I will say this one thing. It is such a bummer the way that his relationship, it reminds me of Terry Bradshaw where the, they don't have good relationships with the Steelers anymore. I saw Troy accepting an award. I don't know if it was for like a Samoan Hall of Fame thing or a collegiate Hall of Fame type deal, but he won't even say the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, he referred to himself as a Samoan, a USC Trojan, and an NFL player. And that just bums me out so thoroughly. It doesn't, it doesn't affect my support of him. He's Troy. I love him. It was just he would like to see if they'd be able to mend that fence a little. He's still angry at the Steelers for kind of forcing him into an early retirement, which does suck. But Yeah, and they don't go in with their uh, team, right? I mean, they don't go in designated with their team necessarily, which I guess you no, almost can't. They do. Yeah, you have to designate a particular team when you go into the Hall of Fame. And so you know there's going to be a, there's going to be a, uh, an incident when Peyton Manning gets in because I could see him being a, a douche and going in for the Broncos. And it's like, dude, you were the, you were the Colts quarterback. You were the Colts quarterback. You played for the Broncos for a little while at the end and had an unbelievable season and then got dragged to the Super Bowl in your last year. But I know he's still angry at the Colts for making the smartest move ever and letting him go and drafting Andrew Luck. Um, but, yeah. Luckily, there's no choice there. Troy's going in as a stealer. So, you know how you have something at the office, you have this to-do list, and there's something that's relatively important but isn't going to explode if you don't get it done today, and it always seems to fall to the bottom of the list. That's what Alan Fanica's choice seems to me. He's yes. always on a list with people more, who've done more and who sort of you can't pass up. If you ask me, I think there are four players that we have seen in the modern Steelers uh, and I'm saying since 2000. I think there are four players who should be Hall of Fame locks, and that's Troy Polamalu, Ben Roethlisberger, Alan Fanica, and this one's a little weird because you might have screwed it up now, but Douche McGee, a.k.a. Antonio Brown. Those four players were truly the most dominant players on a consistent basis, and they carried their teams at a certain point. Obviously, Fanica's a lineman, but... What did he have, like, 10 consecutive All-Pros? He's just always one of the best guards in the league. I even think guys like the Bus and Hines, I'd love to see Hines get in. I don't think he's going to. But, like, there was never really any point where the Bus or Hines were, like, a top-five player at their position in the league. Um, so I can understand how they wouldn't get in because there's other guys who get in. Now, if you're listening, listening to this and you hate me, I love those guys. I adore them. But if I'm looking at just trying to be objective of who the most dominant players were, Fanica's one of those guys, you know? And uh, maybe DeCastro will end up there, too. If he keeps up another three, four years of this, I would say the same thing. It's like when you dominate every single year in the league, it's just sad to see that he can't get into the Super or into the Hall of Fame because the low profile of offensive linemen. And Donnie Shell won't make because they just begrudge adding more Steelers from the 70s legitimately that's what it is now i didn't get to see him play and i know you weren't you know taking stats at that point but 
his numbers are, are pretty incredible. He's a three-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler. So he was MVP in 1980 or something like that. And kind of generally considered in Pittsburgh to be one of those guys who should be in the Hall of Fame. But there's sports writers out there, like Peter King has said publicly, who's a Hall of Fame voter, that he just refuses to vote for any more 70s Steelers. And for, to me, that's just asinine. These guys take way too many liberties with the Hall of Fame. Not letting Terrell Owens in the first year, it's just the most BS thing I've ever heard. Oh, oh, he was annoying. What? He's, yeah, he was annoying while being one of the most dominant five or ten receivers that we've ever seen in the NFL. This is for the best football players. Don't get cute with it. In the 70s, there was no salary cap, so you could just lock together an unbelievable team forever. Like, if there wasn't a salary cap now, the Steelers would still have Bell, Brown. They could still have Mike Wallace, who was great when he was on the Steelers. You'd have all kinds of guys still playing on the team. And uh, so I know it's you don't like that there's a lot of guys from that team, but just the bottom line was they had a lot of Hall of Famers. That's why they won a bunch of Super Bowls. So that's a bummer. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if he's going to get in. Maybe it would – I don't want to jinx him, but, like, it seems like they let those guys in when they die now, like Ken Stabler. Once mm. he died, they let him Snake. in after making him wait for forever. So maybe we hope that Donnie gets in later. What you were I saying, I just want to do a quick rerun. You were talking about you know, you're not sure how Deontay Johnson got that second team all pro. And I was looking at the stats. You know, these things are so over the map. Not a ton of guys have like a credible number yeah. of returns. But in terms of guys who have returned the ball at least 10 times, and he... Deontay had uh, 20 times. He has the highest average, and he has the longest, I don't know if one touchdown, yeah. you know, 85 return. It was the longest return uh, last of the season. So between the, having the highest average and the TD, maybe you think they pick him because of that? Yeah, and just lack, there are lack tons of competition. Of guys who, well, there are tons, tons of guys who had more yardage than him, so... I don't right. know how they judge those things. Yeah, but you'd, you'd probably care more about the average. I mean, hey, I, I think Deontay Johnson can be the best punt returner in the whole league. I love him, but I was just surprised to see a guy who only returned punts for, like, half the year uh, get the honor. And that's kind of what I figured, too. I'm like, eh, there must be not another, like, obvious guy on there. Yeah. But, um, I mean, from a talent perspective, yeah, I totally agree. I was just surprised to see it, happily surprised. And, by the way, I don't want Donnie Shell to die ever at any point in the future. But – I, Ever. I was just pointing out sort of how the yeah. Hall of Fame operates, right? And the bias in the Hall of Fame and how I think that they need to reorganize the voters. And it should really just be coaches. I don't know why writers are voting on this. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Like, because that's two reasons. Like, they didn't let Jake the Snake in. Wait, Jake the Snake. I'm thinking Jake Plummer. Can't can Stabler in, and then he dies, and then they let him in right after. It's like, aren't we seeing a direct correlation there? It wasn't just because, like, oh, well, you know what? Actually, he's better than all the candidates now. If you get buried on that list, there's amazing players coming out into the pool every single year. So you're just never going to get back into it unless there's some sort of social thing that occurs, and that's kind of annoying. So let's talk about free agency. And there are quite a number of starters and significant backups that are in free agency for the Steelers next year. Yes. And let's let's talk about, you know, whether you think they'll be back, whether we would prefer that they be back. And the highest paid free agent next year is Vance McDonald, six and a half million dollars. Yeah, and it takes like five point something off the cap, I believe, if they release him. And 
Yeah, so we will definitely get very deep into the weeds on all of this stuff uh, in future podcasts. Today, we just figured we'd sort of take a kind of truncated version, look at the NFL playoffs, see how some of those games relate to the Steelers, and maybe take an early look at some of these free agents. And we actually do have a little bit more information than we thought we'd have because Mike Tomlin in his press conference last week stressed that Bud Dupree is going to be a priority in free agency. And we try to make a habit on this podcast of admitting when we are wrong about a take. Like we said a number of times during the course of this year that, I mean, I know I definitely said it, that I never thought Bud Dupree would pan out to be as good as he is now. And to our credit, we did say a lot before the season that he'd be a serviceable starting defensive edge player and he would probably kind of luck into around 10 sacks. I'd be curious to look back at that podcast. I think you and I predicted that he would get more than 10 sacks. But I said it was because, you know, he would he would go on stunts and stuff like that. But either way, what I'm trying to say is we'll admit when we're wrong about something. We'll also admit when we're right. We have been saying the word on the street and just based on the simple mathematics is it's going to be very difficult to keep Bud, especially if somebody else pays him a ton of money. But we have also said the Steelers historically are pretty incredible about keeping their star players, especially when they say they want to keep him. Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell were sort of weird cases. And then if you look back at like whether all the receivers, Plaxico or... Sanders or Wallace, those guys were uh, receivers getting overpaid in free agency who they didn't have a problem replacing pretty much immediately after they left. So if Tomlin says they're going to keep Bud, there's a chance that they'll be able to. But if they're going to, they're going to have to release a bunch of these veteran guys like McDonald. I do think Foster might be a foregone conclusion at at this point right now even though you've made the point that he doesn't save us money. When we're talking about Vance McDonald, I just can't see them releasing him because they don't have another tight end on the roster besides Gentry because Vanette's a free agent as well. And I think Steelers fans might be like, oh, Vance is always injured. He sucks. I think the Steelers know that they can't go in with zero tight ends and think that they're gonna someone's going to slide to them in the draft and, and they'll be able to go into the year like that. And I think that they assume Vance will make some sort of come back next year with Ben on the field, hopefully with a healthy elbow. So I don't know. Both of the – it's like can you st- sign can you sign Bud without getting rid of Vance and these other free agents, and would they get rid of Vance? I don't know. It's, it's murky, but – Well, I'd like to keep Vance, not just because I like him. We go out for beers once in a while, but because right. I think he's effective. And, yeah, he has missed a lot of games. But the problem from my standpoint is they just don't use the tight end – for anything other than blocking. And I'll bet you you can go out and get another Vinette. You know, Vinette's up, but he costs nothing. You can get him, you could probably re-sign him or somebody of his ilk. You could just get another blocking tight end and maybe you hope, we just don't throw that, throw the ball to the tight end anymore. You'd think that, but they're not, those blocking tight ends aren't as readily available as they used to be with the um, advance of like, spread offenses in college a lot of the tight ends are these move kind of tight ends who are more pass catchers and when it comes to blocking vance is top of the food chain i mean he's not the best blocking tight end in the nfl but he is one of them so even if you want to use the tight end for running he's going to help you do that a lot and you can't judge what the steelers do offensively really whatsoever from this year they're going to get him the ball more i agree with you it's like I mean, they, they, he used Heath a ton. Even in his old age, they threw to Heath a lot on those little check-down routes over the middle. 
And it was frustrating last year with Vance because he'd have huge games, like one huge game and then two games where he'd only have two or three catches. But I think they will use him. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, part of me agrees with you on, on being able to find tight ends. Like, the Seahawks do it. They're down to their fourth tight end right now. And Jacob Hollister, and he's the best. Vanette was one of their tight ends. They had Will Disley and then Ed Dixon. They're literally on their fourth tight end, and this guy's like a a really good player. So they seem to have no problem doing it, but the Steelers have had some pretty high-profile failures. What if there's some way that Jesse James gets cut? I say this with zero knowledge of their cap situation and the implications of cutting Jesse James, except for knowing that he only had 13 catches and no touchdowns all year. That would be a Steelers move to bring him back. Tweet it out. Start the rumor. I'm not even going to look up the capital implications. Look, this is there are a lot of painful decisions when you do put put together a roster. Obviously, and nobody wants to lose him. It is a question of is he effective? Yes, but I guess they have to do the math. How many games is he going to play? How much can you you know what percentage of Vance can you replace with somebody who will be there all season? So just just moving on to another big enigma is B.J. Finney, who's also probably you know probably do for a really big contract and could start on a lot of other teams. I don't know how much how much capital you put into retaining him. Although well, like I said last of, week though, what makes me really nervous that we're getting thinner and thinner. You talk about losing Ramon. Yeah, yeah I agree. And you know, I think the idea that uh, you were talking about and a lot of people are talking about is moving Filer to guard and bringing right. in Finney as a starter. So Well not Finney. You know. No 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 Finney would be gone. They'd move Filer to guard and they put Chooks or Banner at starting uh. tackle. But my other thought is that you might use that second-round pick on a lineman and then try and get that guy as the starting tackle or starting guard or to be the backup tackle to groom behind Chooks or Banner. You're basically playing some some musical chairs with the line, which sounds bad, but that might not be horrible if Chooks is advancing like they expected him to when they drafted him in the third round. I mean, that's the kind of player. Third round is kind of another round where you think, hey, this guy's going to be a developmental starter at some point. So... It's so weird because we always thought that Finney would just plugged right in right after Foster, but the Steelers' coaches kind of made it clear that they don't trust him like that because when Foster missed some games, they played musical chairs and put Filer. It's so annoying that they all have F names, by the way, that they put Filer from tackle into that guard spot and then put Chooks. Did um, Feetner put Filer there? Oh, my gosh. Did Feetner put Filer, Foster, or Finney in the final guard spot? <laughs> I don't know, man. But, yeah, they, they, I think that they showed their hand. I think that Finney might be good as gone, which I hate because he's such a good utility player. So who knows? That, I mean, that's the interesting thing is you can play some chess with this stuff. I don't think – I don't feel comfortable about the Steelers letting Vance go and, and just starting that position from scratch. They did that this year. You remember we, we kept saying, like, the only real hole on the roster is, like, maybe safety. They fixed that. And tight end. And it never got fixed. The tight end thing didn't get fixed this year. So you're going to take the best one off the team and think that you can fix it again next year? I don't think they're going to be comfortable with that. But all of this depends on the initial moves and free agency, what other teams are offering Bud, which might affect who we can keep, and then who's available in the draft. So we spent a lot of time on Javon Hargrave. I don't think anybody thinks sees a, a pathway to him. So the other critical guy, and we did mention this, Mike Hilton. Who was looking for money last year stayed, you know, obviously in his last year of his contract. What do you what do you do with Hilton? 
I hold on to him for dear life. You know what? I think that the Steelers also have had plans to replace him. As long as you have Nelson and Hayden, I mean, Artie Burns is going to be gone. You drafted Justin Lane last year, who terrifies me. But Cameron Sutton has got to be it. He's got to get on the field. He was phenomenal whenever he was in the game this year. So I would almost think that they're going to put him at the slot. And this is why you draft. Like, there are certain players that you just have to lose and you have to have people in the pipeline. So I don't know how much he's going to get. Would I like to see him stay? Of course. I want every Steeler we have right now to stay. I mean, this is a really good team. But I would think I, when you look at these things, I try to look if there's, like, a pipeline for the next player there. And with Sutton there, there's definitely a next guy. And with Lane, that's what they drafted him to do. I don't know if I'm comfortable with it, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It sucks because they're so deep at corner this year where they could lose two corners and have guys go in and you'd be okay. Did you hear what you just said? You <laughs> could mean? you imagine ever having made that statement in the right? last 10 years? I know. No, I can't. In the last 20 years. We were winning Super Bowls <laughs> with crappy cornerbacks except for Ike. Ike, baby. Ike was holding it down. Well, Willie Gay did a good job, too. But Willie was almost better uh, late in his career. But you remember, even in those Super Bowl runs, it was there was difficulty defending the pass at times. And now here we are with a with a stable of cornerbacks. Stable. Let's see if it sticks around. So, as you mentioned, we think Artie will be gone. Sean Davis. Oh, he's good as gone. He's still be expensive. So that's actually an important position for the Steelers as well. They're going to have to get a safety. I think some people might be overvaluing how high they need to pick a safety or how they need to go get one. They don't need a starter. Uh, just a real quick thing on Terrell Edmonds because I keep seeing tons of hate on Twitter towards Terrell Edmonds, and I, I think that that's so short-sighted. Is like you're, if Ter- Terrell Edmonds is our new Bud Dupree, right? We don't. They picked him in the first round. They should not have picked him in the first round. He's not a first-round safety. He, can't, he doesn't know where the ball is. He doesn't even realize football played with the ball. That's part of the issue. But he played way better this year than he did last year. He made some plays knocking some passes down. He made some plays as the year went on, um, close to the line of scrimmage, making tackles. And if he can just be solid, if he can be Ryan Clark to, Troy, to uh, Minka Fitzpatrick's Troy Polamalu, then that's great because you have him locked up for another three years after this, and he definitely played better than he did last year. And we've seen guys in the secondary. You know, Ike eventually became a star without being a star at the beginning, and if he can continue his ascension, that's good. Just don't expect him to get interceptions, but we got other guys for that. Would it, would it be cool if he did get interceptions? Would it be cool if they drafted Bates or Reed who were available at that time, two guys who do get interceptions? Yes, but if he's a solid player and he makes use of that incredible athleticism he has, then he's on a good trajectory. It's just he gets graded hard, rightfully so, because he was a first-round pick. So this may be a surprise to you and an unpleasant one, but you know Cameron Kennedy is also a free agent. Oh, no, we can't have that. Modern-day Greg Warren. That's right. And It's uh, a 10-year um, contract for those guys. <laughs> among other guys that we won't need to talk about here, Dirty Red is up, and he was in, he was mentioned as a an All Pro special teams guy. He should he definitely deserves to be in that conversation. He's unbelievable on special teams. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll get further down the roster as we go later into the off season. But uh, you do need those special teams guys, and they lost Hayward Bay last year, and Holton filled in nicely. But is there another receiver that you find in training camp who can play special teams to the 
to the level that Holton does, but also maybe can add a little bit on offense. I don't know. So we'll see about those guys. We know that we don't want Dirty Red, you know, playing a linebacker. <laughs> Nor do we want him in on any other uh, in any other uniform because of his no. potent because of his potency. Precisely. We don't want to lose Dirty Red because of his potency. No, we don't want to lose him because of his potency, and nobody wants to lose potency in general. And the good news is Blue Chew is making sure that that doesn't happen. Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? I do. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-improved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the U.S. of A, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. If you visit BlueChew.com, you'll get your first shipment for free when you use our special promo code ARMCHAIR, A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R. All you got to do is pay five bucks shipping. So again, that's B L U E C H E W dot com promo chair promo code armchair to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Sports Illustrated's Donnie Druin has a column called Steeler Maven, which is great. It's finally a place to go for Steeler news other than the usual. He has three Steelers New Year's resolutions for 2020, and we have addressed these resolutions and most of two out of the three of these and i'll save the one we haven't for last but just your thoughts on his a couple of them so goal number one for 2020 is that terrell Edmonds must Im- improve it significantly duh i guess we could say that about every player uh, i don't know if i yeah right uh, well i don't know if i necessarily agree with that honestly i don't think that the steelers success revolves around Terrell Edmonds getting much better. Not, I mean, we actually just kind of addressed that, right? I'm like, as long as he's good and solid, the Steelers are going to be fine. Now, would it be great if he progressed? Of course, every player. But this isn't the same urgency as what we said last year with T.J. Watt, where it's like T.J. Watt looks like he's on the ascension from good to great player, and at the time on the defense, they only had one great player, Cam Hayward. And when T.J. Watt was making a big diff, was making an impact last year, it was showing, like, oh, this Steelers team could actually look like a classic Steelers defense. So that was more critical to me. We also said something like Washington and Deontay Johnson need to play well this year because there are no other receivers besides Juju Smith-Schuster. That was critical. So, no, I don't think that uh, Edmonds' progression is overly uh, impactful on how well the Steelers are going to do. I trust that he will continue to get better. But there's guys like, I mean, the number one thing we all know is, is Ben's elbow. How much is that going to heal? That's really something to me. And then, you know, will they have a starting running back who can stay in the game? That kind of thing. But, no, I don't think that it's the most important thing. Resolution number two, retain two of three players, Bud, 
Javon Hargrave and Mike Hilton. Two out of three of them. I think they're only going to get one out of three. I, it's almost impossible to get all of them, right? Javon Hargrave is good. He's pretty much good as gone. Just because of the position he plays, fits better in a 4-3. So he's going to get massive money that the Steelers aren't going to be able to match somewhere else. They already have guys to fill in for him as it is. You have so much money tied up in Hayward and to it. So like, I don't even think that it's realistic to get him. Uh, if they get one of those three... I'd be happy. It'd be a bummer if the only one you keep is Hilton. But hey, I mean, then your cornerback group is still a, is really strong. So, man, I don't mean to uh, be negative towards the article. If you got two or three, awesome, love it. But no, I don't. I think that the Steelers can still weather the storm if they lose two of those guys. I guess you're because, saying, yeah, realism. Well, first, is that true? I don't actually agree with what you were saying before that you've got Sutton in the wings. He may not be the sort of the run protection at the level that Hilton is, but you've got somebody in the wings. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to... I mean, it'd be great Until if it. you lose Antonio Brown. It's like, well, good thing we have DeAndre Hopkins behind him. You're never going to have that, you know? But, uh, yeah, with the defensive line, we already know why they're going to lose Hargrave. Bud's the big question. I still think that this team, even if they lost all three of those guys, I still think the team's in the running. Because if Ben comes back at 75% of himself... Then you have a halfway decent starting quarterback, and then you should have a pretty good offense and still a very good defense, even if they're not as good as they were this year. So, yeah, I don't think that the Steelers' success relies critically on that. If they could keep Bud, that that would be a huge step. But then again, you might keep Bud with at the cost of making the offense worse by losing a lot of guys. So, I don't know. I you know what really scares me, though? It's not having the other side of the line uh, locked down with Bud. We've seen when, when Bud was yeah. average, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just such a weak point. And that was out without Minka. I don't know, but you, you definitely need to have the pressure that those guys brought this year. I'd, I'd be really afraid to lose it. I think he's such a key to next year's defense. Yeah, I'd be really afraid to lose him too. But honestly, I still think that they'd be a good defense without him because you're talking about the years when he wasn't that good. Well, they had crap at every single position besides Cam Hayward and, and TJ and to it barely even plays and Hargrave they barely even put him in the game at the time now if you lose bud is your defense going to get worse yes but it might not be that much worse because you got to think Devin Bush hasn't even scratched the surface of what he could be as a player like what if Devin Bush is a pro bowl or an all pro type guy next year well then that's a new stud that we are not even accounting in that's a, a new stud for next year who sort of wasn't part of the defense this year was he playing this year yeah but he wasn't the superstar version that's like saying if we had rookie tj watt on the team this year you know what i'm saying so i think that even if they lose bud they still have minka cam to it watt nelson Sutton, maybe Hilton, Hayden, and it's enough where it's like, oh, they're not going to be totally screwed. Do I want to lose them? No. Okay, one last resolution, and we'll get out of here. Finding Ben Roethlisberger's successor. Uh, I, I just vehemently agree with every disagree with every part of this article. There's <laughs> okay. First off, does he cover the Steelers? Like because it's not going to happen. They've already said that Ben's playing next year. They've traded their first round pick. They're in a Super Bowl window right now. There's no chance they're taking a second-round quarterback. And if, you, if we know anything, the chances of you getting a, a quarterback, a franchise quarterback outside the first round are slim to none. Oh, Russell Wilson and Tom Brady and Dak Prescott, who went 8-8, eight and eight, they were all in a different round. That, that's like three out of a million. Like, if you're going to take the success, you've got to take the next guy. I, I, I've been railing against this 
concept for years. No team gets the the Favre to Rodgers, the, the luck that the Colts got with Peyton to luck, the luck, the, uh, what, what Bill Walsh and the 49ers got with Montana to young. And you could even say like, who knows how young would have developed outside of the scheme of an offensive genius like that. So I don't know what people are watching where you have this, the next star quarterback waiting behind the last one. You got to go all in for a Super Bowl run. I do think what's more critical than finding his successor is having a decent backup quarterback. And I would love to bring in someone like a Tyrod Taylor, who, you know, I've spoken about. He's not like a starting quarterback, but he's someone who can go in and at least maybe score a touchdown once a game. But they're not going to have the money for that. And Mike Tomlin doubled down saying Mason Rudolph's the backup quarterback. So, yeah, no, I don't think that that's critical toward especially towards next year if you're talking about a successor is this a is next year a huge roll of the dice 100 percent, yeah because we all know ben doesn't treat his body the same way that brady and breeze do and he's coming back from a majorly invasive surgery on his arm so it's not a guaranteed thing that he'll come back but i will say this too he might be a cheese doodles commercial, but he has much more physical talent than Breeze and Brady have to start with. So, you know, hey, maybe get back in there and start chucking him around. But, uh, yeah, pretty much next season relies on how healthy is he, how effective can he be, because I think that there are some pieces around him. All right, everybody. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. 
The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.